Are you ready for the Word of God today? Amen. So we are entering uh, our new series and we call it um, Mountains, Rivers, Gardens, and Deserts. Many of you might be wondering why. It's not because we are uh, in spring. So welcome to spring as well. It's the spring season. Finally, winter is over. And this, this, this month, we're just going to explore the topographic, the topography of the Bible, you know. In the scriptures, many of the stories we find from the beginning, Genesis, down to the New Testament, has always been situated or located and involves this topography, you know, the landscape, the environment of the Bible. And they are not there just by chance. But it is intentional, you know, the symbolisms of this landscape in the Bible. God is trying to convey a message through them as well. Last week, we just talked about the glory of God. And one of the verses we declared there is that the heavens declare the glory of God. Now, creation as a whole uh, brings a message from God as well. And that is very true with our theme this month. We're going to explore it. So pack your bags, you know, and, and your gears, and let's hike today, this morning, and explore the mountains of the Bible. That's our topic today, the mountains of the Scriptures. Our key text will be in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 to 28, and later on we will discuss that. But I want to give you a framework, a context of this. Many times in the scriptures, you know, we see uh, more than 500 times, actually, more than 500 times, mountains are, are mentioned in the Bible. There are so many Psalms that talks about the mountains of the Lord or the mountain of God. What do they mean? They are so filled with mis uh, mystery, and, and today we want to unpack that so that it can aid you, church. Whenever you read the Bible and you come across Mount Zion, what does that mean, Right? And, and we will discover that today. You know, I grew up in uh, two provinces. We lived in two provinces, Laguna and Rizal. And they are provinces that are mountainous. You know, when I was a kid, you know, mountains and rivers, that's my daily scene. In the morning when you wake up and you go out of the house, my mom uh, uh, asks me to go to the Palenque. I cross the river, and as you cross the river, there's the mountain range as a view. And then later on, as I grew up, uh, further, you know, we transferred to Rizal, and I remember my room uh, in, the, in our house in Rizal, the window, and you open the window, your view is, are the mountains. The mountains are majestic, isn't it? The mountains doesn't have to speak. It just stands, and somehow there is a sense of awe. Who likes mountains here? Yeah, any mountain uh, climber or mountain hiker in the house? <laughs> yeah, when you were younger, perhaps, or Kuya Sai, you know, people who like climbing up mountains. Sometimes, you know, people who are, who loves uh, the comfortable <laughs> don't understand why they have to punish themselves and climb up a mountain. But those who climb mountains and somehow reach the summit or the peak of the mountains knows how, you know, inspiring and oh. Uh, oh, amazing that is, that experience. Mountains are majestic. And it's because they reflect also the majesty of its maker, the mountains of God. 
So one example here in the scripture we find in Micah chapter 4 verses 1 to 2. And this is a prophecy uh, of the end times. It says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways so that we may walk in His paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. In the scriptures, there are many symbolisms of the mountains. In fact, even in our poetries, even in the songs that we sing, right? Ain't no mountain high enough. <laughs> or climb every mountain. You know, mountain can be symbols of something that we have to overcome. We tend to look at mountains as problems or insurmountable challenges or a cha uh, you know, uh, an obstacle that is in front of us. And that's why in the scriptures also, it says that if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this, to this mountain, move and they shall be moved. But you know what? The dominant idea or symbolism of mountains in the Bible is actually pertaining to an encounter with God. It's a place where the presence of God somehow dwells. It's a symbol of His uh, power and rule as well, not just on a negative note. If you have read the, uh, the novel, The Chronicles of Narnia, uh, the part on the voyage of the Dawn Treader, if you've watched that movie as well, there was a part there, I really love this scene in that movie, when the heroes travel to the edge of the world and get a glimpse of Aslan's country. And C.S. Lewis, basically Aslan represents Jesus. And when the characters went to the edge of the world, that's basically the edge of the present life and the eternal life. That's the symbolism of that. Now, C.S. Lewis describes it this way in the book. What they saw eastward beyond the sun was a range of mountains. And the mountains must really have been outside the world. For any mountains, even a quarter or a twentieth of the height, ought to have had ice and snow on them. Now, this is like a picture of the Alps, the Alpines, for example. The higher the mountain, the snowy, the, the icy it gets, right? But these were warm and green and full of forests and waterfalls, however high you looked. Now, little, little this, does people know who read this novel that... The picture that C.S. Lewis is uh, describing here in his novel is actually coming from the Bible because C.S. Lewis is a Christian, right? And this is a prophecy as well in the scriptures. That description in the novel comes from Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 14 to 15. It says here, God speaking, I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. Now, this prophecy would not have any weight, in a sense, for us if we don't understand its context. 
This is written by the prophet Ezekiel, and Ezekiel is a prophet in the time when the Israelites were exiled into Babylon. Now, they've lost their land, they lost their nation. It was burned down by the Babylonians. The temple was destroyed, and now they are slaves again into a foreign nation. They are in a time of crisis. They were, in a sense, imprisoned as well in a lifestyle that they, they, that they do not really want. And in a time like this, Ezekiel had visions and words from the Lord to declare the remnant, you know, the remaining faithful Israelites. And this is something that the Israelites looked forward to. They wanted to return to their nation. They wanted to go back to their lifestyle. A lot of people right now are thinking, you know, I want to go back to, to the normal. You know, we are uh, in this season and everything is like difficult and it's like, uh, you know, an exile to our original life. But then this is something, whenever the, the prophets of the exile declare a word, it's a, it's a declaration of hope. The people of God was despairing and desiring and, and you know, they, they, they seem to lack hope anymore. What, what is it going to be? How long is it going to end, you know, this slavery of ours? And the prophet, like in this passage that we read, uh, always declares this to the people of Israel to declare hope towards them. I will feed them with good pasture. It means that they will return to the land that was promised to them. I will feed them with good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. Imagine the picture that's being depicted here by the prophet. Because right now, in their situation, they were in Babylon. They were not lying down in green pastures. They were slaves. Amen? I myself will feed will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. And here's the key thing as well. The people in the exile have repented. They know that the reason why they have been exiled into Babylon is because they have been unfaithful to God. They know that they have, been, they have turned their back against God, and therefore, you know, the enemies have come uh, against them and captured them. And now, this remnant, the people that are remaining to be alive, are now repentant. They want to return to the Lord. And this is the response of God to them. I will bring you back to the land where I have given you before. Now, um, the mountains in the Bible is significant. If you are a Jew, even right now, if you are a Jew living in Israel, mountains are very significant for you. And they are very symbolic. Whenever there is a mention of the mountains in the Bible, there presents a specific meaning that Jewish people or even Christians who understand the history of the Bible, they cling to those images as uh, attaching them to a promise of God. To a promise of God. So that's why I really want you to, uh, to join me as we hike and we climb along, you know, these this mountains in the Old Testament. So let's go. Let's climb. Who's ready? Who's ready to climb? <laughs> Amen. I love this. I love this. The story of the Bible begins in the mountain. Do you know that? Eden is not just a garden. It is a mountain garden. And it basically says that the river flows from this mountain garden. In Genesis chapter 2, it declares that. And also, uh, it, it shows in Ezekiel 28, the mention of the Garden of Eden, uh, the mountain uh, where the Lord's presence was dwelling. Now, look at the picture of that. In, 
the, the verse we've read earlier in Ezekiel uh, 34 is, is basically a picture of the original garden where Adam and Eve just ate the plenty of the produce of the land and God himself was feeding them. So that was always the picture. The picture was always that God and man were together in communion with one another in this mountain. You know, and, and it's a picture of prosperity, it's a picture of peace, it's a picture of protection, it's a picture of all things good. Wherever God's presence is, man benefits from it. So the, the story of the Bible begins on a mountain, and the trajectory of that story is going from one mountain to another mountain, and then the final destination is actually also a mountain. So when the fall happened, Adam and Eve fell, yeah? They were, they were kicked out of the garden. Basically, they exited, you know, this mountain garden of the Lord in Eden. Uh, what happened then is uh, pe people began to associate, as, as the people basically grew in numbers, people began to associate mountains to be where the presence of God dwells because that's where they were kicked out of, right? And, and because of the, the effect of sin unto humanity, uh, of course, the ideation of worship also has been um, broken and damaged. You will remember the scene of the Tower of Babel, right? Tower of Babel. They were building something. They were building something. They were building a structure that is emulating a mountain. That's what they were trying to do. That's why in the ancient Mesopotamia, you know, the time wherein these things are happening. You will find, even right now, you know, archae uh, archaeological digs finds what we call ziggurat. Have you heard of that word before? There's a picture here I'd like to show you. Ziggurat and also pyramids. So you're more familiar with pyramids. People in the ancient Mesopotamia and even ancient civilizations build mountain-like images and basically relate them to worship. They relate them to worship. They build these mountain-like images and because the idea is that the higher you go, the closer you are to God. And also, a lot of temples in ancient times, if, not, if they don't build ziggurats or pyramids like this, they build temples on mountaintops. Because the idea of people is that God dwells in the heavens, and when we are at the summit of the mountain, we are closer to God. That's the idea uh, of people during that time. The only difference with other religions and other uh, ancient beliefs to, uh, to Christianity or the Jewish, you know, Judaism, for example, uh, to the Hebraic um, covenant people of God is that on the other religions, it's the people who's trying to reach God. They're trying to climb the mountain, build a temple on the mountain, trying to build a mountain-like structure because they want to reach God. They want to reach God. But the biblical record tells us that it was actually God who's trying to recover or reach man. He wants to restore man. And that's why in the many stories that you are familiar with, it is God who comes down to the mountains. So what do we mean by that? So let's, let's explore the mountains of the Bible. Mount Ararat, what happened there? You know? You remember? What is Mount Ararat? Yes, thank you, Kuya Sai. That's where Noah's Ark landed. After the flood, 
That's, where, that's the highest peak, actually, of uh, uh, the mountains during that time. And that's where the ark landed after the flood. And do you know what happened in that mountain? God makes a promise to Noah to never destroy the earth with the flood again. So in every, in every, every time that the mountain is, uh, there's a, an event that the mountain is involved, there is a covenant that God makes. A mountaintop experience always involves encountering God and receiving a promise from God. So that's Noah right there. That's correct. What about Mount Moriah? Do you know Mount Moriah? What happened in Mount Moriah? This is where God called Abraham to offer his son Isaac. Right? And, and the first mention of the word worship is basically associated with the act of obedience of Abraham and the sacrifice done in Mount Moriah. Um, it's very significant because this, obviously, for many of us who are familiar with it, is a foreshadowing of what God himself is going to do for every one of us. Abraham offering his son Isaac is a picture of God the Father offering Jesus and Jesus also dying on a mountain for every one of us. Do you understand this? And when, when Abraham uh, obeyed God without any hesitation and uh, basically proved to God that there's nothing else more important to him than God himself, in that mountain also God makes a covenant with Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant. You know, that he will be indeed, uh, uh, basically affirming that covenant that has already been made in that mountain of the Lord, in Mount Moriah. Mount, tandaan nyo to ha, tandaan nyo tong Mount Moriah because it's a significant mountain and it will uh, evolve later on in the story. The next one is Mount Horeb. What happened to Mount Horeb? Do you know? It's a clue there, Exodus chapter 3. At Mount Horeb, this is, we know this, right? This is where Moses encountered God in the burning bush. The burning bush. Again, the encounter of God's presence. God making the initiative. In fact, Moses was not even looking for God. Moses was not even looking for God. And God makes the initiative to connect. To connect with Moses at Mount Horeb. It's a display of the glory of God as well. Now, this is where God tells Moses that I will rescue my people and deliver them out of Egypt in, and bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey. Again, it's symbolic because it is forward, foreshadowing what God will do to deliver us from the slavery of sin and bring us to a land of green pastures. Amen? And that's the picture again of the mountains in Ezekiel. Mount Sinai. Uh, I, I'm sure you know this already. Mount Sinai. Anyone? <laughs> Mount Sinai is where Moses uh, obviously encounters God again. And the people of Israel, basically at the foot of Mount Sinai, and this is where God gives Moses the commandments. The Ten Commandments and also the instructions for building the tabernacle. And it's a very important picture because this is the formation of the nation of Israel. Remember that they have been slaves in Egypt for many centuries, and then now they're going into a promised land, and God is teaching them how to become a people of God. God is teaching them how to be a nation, you know, that is not like every other nation that surrounds them. So, 
Mount Sinai is very important as well as, as later on we will discuss the difference of this. The next one is what we always read this in, in the Bible, Mount Zion. What is Mount Zion? Whenever you read, oh, from, the, from Zion, God uh, speaks and thunders and all that. Whenever you read that, Mount Zion is a, uh, a mountainous range of civilization. The Jebusites occupies that. And then King David, David basically conquered the Jebusites and Mount Zion became Jerusalem. That is where the Temple of Solomon was built. Right now, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is Mount Zion. It's a terrain, it's a, it's a high a highland, basically. And they call it the Mount Zion, the city of David. And then, basically, eventually, because the Temple of Solomon was built in Mount Zion, they call it the city of God. And in their time, Mount Zion, because the Temple of God is there, and they, basically the outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies, you know, the Temple of God is there. That's where they believe, the Ark of the Covenant is there. That's where they believe the presence of God dwells. It's just the evolution of their uh, belief and mindset that indeed God's presence dwells on a mountain. And therefore, everyone goes to Zion. Everyone desires to come near Zion because everyone desires to be near God's presence. Amen? Civilizations during the ancient time, in the time of the Israelites in the Old Testament, they normally established their communities, their, uh, their empire, or their, their civilization on mountains. Why? Because there is strength and safety on mountains. There is a vantage point whenever a civilization is built on a high ground. It's safe from their enemies and and all that stuff. So David also had that in mind. He wanted to build a city on a hill. You hear that in songs, right? I have a destiny I know I shall fulfill. I have a destiny in that city on a hill. You know, sometimes we sing songs and it's beautiful lyrics, but we don't understand what, it's, what it means. Now, that's the city on a hill. Whenever you see that in the Scriptures, in the Bible, when you read it, that's Mount Zion right there. Now, it's important because Mount Zion is the same place where Abraham offered Isaac. So Mount Zion is also Mount Moriah. The significance of that is important because, again, it is, a, you know, it is a layer after layer of foreshadowing of Jesus himself. Coming to Mount Zion. Um, special mention, Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is where Elijah had a, a, a battle with the prophets of Baal, where God sent fire from heaven and consumed a, a, a water-soaked sacrifice prepared by Elijah. That's Mount Carmel for you guys. So, again... In the story, after the temple was built by Solomon and the nation of Israel experienced kings after kings after kings, the, the, the nation of Israel, as we know, became very uh, hard-headed, stiff-necked, stubborn, and rebellious towards God. And fast forward, that's the time when they have been exiled into Babylon. And that, now, you, you, you understand the idea here? 
that Ezekiel prophecy that we are talking about is basically telling the people of Israel what you have experienced in the presence of God, you will experience it again. You will be restored back to the mountain of God. Amen? So are you still with me? That's the verse that I was talking about. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be their shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. Now, what does this prophecy remind you of? A very famous psalm. The sheep and the shepherd. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This next picture. When we talk about greener pastures and feeding the sheep with green pastures and abundance of supply, the shepherds actually bring them up on the mountains. That's a picture of maybe a thousand sheep and a grazing field of, of, of grass. On the mountains. That is the picture that is being presented. When we, when we hear, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall, not, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Hey, that's above the mountains. It means that the sheep has to walk upwards. Hindi pwede na the shepherd wants to feed you greener pasture and then the sheep is like, nakakatamad na umakyat dyan. Ayoko umakyat. The sheep is leading you upwards. You know, can you imagine? You know, come on, feed greener pastures, upward terrain. <laughs> and the sheep says, Katamad. <laughs> Dito na lang ako. Right. The shepherd wants you to feed, to feed you good, good grass. Good, good supply. But it's up there. It's up there. But we want to stay here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Hallelujah. Sometimes, you know, it's a very poetic psalm, and it's beautiful, right? Sometimes, oh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then the reality of it, not come up. You have to get up, get out, and come up. It's the elevated ground that I want to bring you in. Hey, you with me? Are you with me? There's another thing that reminds us of the Ezekiel prophecy, isn't it? The sheep and the shepherd. Who, do you, who, who does it remind you of? John chapter 10. I am the shepherd. You are the sheep. Jesus, when he came, claims to be the chief shepherd, the good shepherd. I know my sheep by name, and they hear my voice, and they follow me. Jesus came as the fulfillment of that Ezekiel prophecy. When the remnants of Israel in the exile in Babylon was thinking that the promise is about them going back to Israel, which actually it happened, Ezra and Nehemiah rebuilt the temple and the walls. It happened there, but the glory of the Lord is no longer in the temple, right? What Ezekiel was actually talking about is the coming of the shepherd. It's the Messiah. It's the coming of Jesus Himself, you know, ascending down from the mountains. Ascending down from the mountains. Where? Why? Because the sheep are down there on the ground. And He wants to lead them up. He wants to lead them up 
He wants them to climb again. He wants them to climb again. Hey, you with me? Are you still with me? Amen. So look at this. When you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's no accident or no incident, uh, no, no, no coincidence that Jesus is always found on the mountains. <laughs> Jesus loves the mountains. He loves the mountains. Look at this. The first thing that happened, you know, Matthew chapter 4, 8, and Luke chapter 4, 5, he begins his ministry defeating Satan on the mountain. Isn't it? When Satan was uh, tempting him, it was on the mountain. Again, uh, in many instances, he feeds his disciples the word of God on the mountain. That's why we have the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Hey, Jesus were always preaching, was always preaching on a mountain. On a mountain. And while I was preparing this, I was thinking, Lord, why would you go up the mountains? Isn't it more accessible when you're just down there? <laughs> Just down there on the, in the streets or like, you know, in the marketplace. You just preach there, right? Although he reads in the synagogues, but we always find Jesus preaching on the mountain. Why? People who really want to seek God won't mind the climb. People are carrying paralyzed men going up the mountain. That's faith demonstrated. Nowadays, preaching the Word of God is very accessible, very easy to listen to, very easy to access. But people doesn't even have a desire to hear it. Jesus preached on the mountain. Because I was thinking, you know, why would Jesus preach on the mountains? There are more people down there. Because remember, Jesus is always looking for faith. And those who climb, those who climb, they are the ones who really want to see Jesus. Remember Zacchaeus? He climbed a sycamore tree. And Jesus saw faith because he climbed. Christians in the 21st century are so comfortable. So comfortable. 10 a.m. worship service online in your home. And you log in at 10.30. I mean, that's not JRM Sydney. <laughs> that's maybe other churches. Amen? So accessible, and yet we're so comfortable. People who climb, you know, God rewards faith. Hebrews 11. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And when God sees faith, He rewards that. Can you imagine the millennials in the time of Jesus? I'm going to preach on the mountain, sermon on the mount, hey! And the millennials, I'm so lazy, just want to watch Netflix, right? <laughs> now, it's not, isn't it? Why the mountains? Why would God want people to climb on the mountains because God is not after your comfort and convenience. God wants to see faith rising up. Every time Jesus heals in the Bible, you know, in the scriptures, every time Jesus heals, you know, for example, that person in the pool uh, of Bethesda, 
he doesn't come to the paralyzed man and say, oh, wawa ka naman. You know what Jesus says? Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Sometimes we can wallow in our self-pity and, oh, this is a, such a hard situation. Oh, this lockdown, I'm so down. And, and then Jesus says, get up, pick up your Bible, raise your hand, play your worship. Come on, get up, climb up. Why are you staying down there? I'm so down. And Jesus says, get up, climb up. Why are you staying there? The greener pasture is up here. Why the mountains? Why the mountains? Jesus, you will always find, also rests and communes with the Father on mountains. He will always depart from the crowd, go up the mountains, and be alone with the Father. Why the mountains? Because there are no distractions there. Down here are full of distractions. Down here are full of distractions. But up there, silence. I remember when I was in university in UP Manila, and it's uh, situated, situated beside PGH, the Philippine General Hospital. And I remember before, uh, after the class, uh, normally there's a service at night at JRM in Akpil. So as, as a means for me to kind of kill time, <laughs> kill time because I don't want to go home and then come back to Taft Avenue, um, I would go to the eighth floor of PGH. I will wait there. And not just wait, but I would pray. And I would seek God. You know what the difference? You know, if you've been to Manila, if you're down there on the streets, it's so noisy. Oh, the noise pollution is crazy. The honking of the horns of the cars and like, yeah, mad, mad rambling of people, traffic everywhere. Oh, rah, 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 rah. And the moment I climb up to the eighth floor, all of a sudden, all those noise seems so faint. It's very far away. It's quiet. It's still noisy down there, but I'm up there. So the noise doesn't reach me as much. Why the mountains? Why does God want you to climb up the mountains? Why? He wants you to have some silence. The world is so noisy. Turn on the TV, the news, bad 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 news. And your ears are filled with bad news. Nothing wrong with turning, tuning into news. But every day, 24 hours, if bad news, bad news, bad news is what fills your mind, what fills your heart, then what becomes of you? God tells you, come up. Let me tell you some good news. Let me tell you some good news. Shut down the noise. Shut down the distractions. If you stay down there, then you will just be flooded, swamped by all the distractions. Maybe the way for you to escape the bad news that is around you, watch Netflix, 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 social media, social media, social media. But it doesn't really silence your mind and your heart. It doesn't give you perspective, isn't it? There's nothing that beats silence and reflection to refocus and to gain perspective on what really is. 
all this noise. You know, I'm always bombarded by this. <laughs> a lot of people, you know, left and right. Pastor Jeff, what can you say about this? Pastor Jeff, what can you say about this? Pastor Jeff, what can you say about this? I'm not God. I don't have all the answers. <laughs> right? I might reply. And you can still ask me questions. Don't, don't let it stop you from asking me questions, right? But don't be offended if I don't reply because it just means I don't know the answer because I'm not God. So every day, my friend, I know it's not just me who's experiencing this. You're being bombarded by the stresses of your work, bombarded by the responsibilities of your family, bombarded by the demands of your, you know, the people around you, bombarded by all the distractions of technology. And the world and the life that you're living is so noisy. And it's not healthy anymore. And that's why God says, come up. It's quiet here. Jesus had that discipline every day. The disciples would be looking for him early in the morning, and he would not be found. You know, Jesus, they said, they, the Bible scholars say that probably Jesus rises up at 4 a.m. and then finishes basically about six, 4 to 6 a.m. He's just on the mountains praying to God. And then the disciples found him, and he's praying, and he's back, and he's like, where have you come from? I was with my father. And Jesus knew I needed this to prepare for the day of battles. I need to recharge so that I can face the day full of battles, not with the strength of my own, but with the strength that comes from my Father. Our world is so noisy, and God calls you to come up the mountain in His presence. Mount Tabor is also a picture of God's uh, display of glory. You know, Peter, James, and John had a glimpse of this. The transfigure, transfiguration scene of Jesus is on the mountain. Uh, we will also find uh, that Jesus was obviously crucified on the mountain. He was crucified on the mountain. We call it Golgotha or the place of the skull. And it's very symbolic because, again, as I mentioned earlier, Abraham offering Isaac is a picture of God offering his own son. And God saves us from the mountain. God proclaims the Great Commission and meets with his disciples, yung huling habili ng Panginoon, on the mountain. The disciples, he would invite, come up, come up here, come up here, come up here. And then he proclaims the Great Commission to them. Uh, the Mount of Olives is where he ascends into heaven. It's also from a mountain. Jesus loves mountains, isn't it? I do remember when we were in the youth ministry, uh, we would always go to a, a prayer mountain. In the Philippines, there are plenty of that. I think here, meron din. I'm I'm planning to actually restart that discipline. That every December 27 to 29, I would go to uh, a prayer mountain. Because that was what I was doing in the Philippines. Every December 27 to 29, it's kind of like just me reflecting on the year that was and preparing my heart and myself for the year that's coming. It's on a prayer mountain, removing all the distractions and just regaining right perspective, eternal perspective. Um, we also do our camps. I remember in Los Baños, Laguna, we climb up Mount Makiling and we do our youth camps there. 
We had a lot of spooky things that happened there. But otherwise, it's amazing. Our camp next year, our Easter, is going to be at Mount Atunga. It's a mountain. It's a mountain. Now, what I'm saying is this. You don't have to literally climb up a mountain to encounter God or to be in the presence of the Lord or to shut down the noise. Because uh, obviously, uh, the Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem and uh Right now, it's occupied by non-Christians, right? So you cannot just rock up there. In fact, you're not allowed to get inside, right? You're not allowed to get inside uh, the Temple Mount. Um, it's, it's not that you have to climb up a physical, literal mountain because the Bible tells us that the Mount Zion is now a spiritual mountain. It is a spiritual mountain and we can climb up there. We can be with God because... Um, we have been uh, washed by the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives within us. Amen? You with me so far? Getting something out of this? Now again, the mountains in the Bible, all these mountains that we were talking about symbolizes five things and just, just five Ps. You know? The first one is provision. That, uh, that uh, prophecy that Ezekiel says that as a good shepherd, he will provide, he will feed his own people. It also symbolizes protection. Again, it's a place of refuge. The Bible says that when you are up in the mountains, you have vantage point against your enemies, or the enemies cannot reach you. Uh, so it's a refuge, it's a place of protection. When you are on the mountain, you know what? Have you ever experienced that? I don't know with you, but have you ever experienced that? That when you were surrounded by trouble, surrounded by problems, surrounded by like all these difficult things, and you're just plagued in your mind, and you're already anxious about many things. The moment you come to God in prayer, and prayer, I would say, is that mountain. When you come to God in your personal devotion, in your worship, and you pray, and you raise your hand, all of a sudden, all these things just kind of melts in the presence of God. The situation doesn't change immediately, but something inside you changes powerfully as you climb up. You know, what you, when you, the, the picture of climbing up the mountain is a picture of intentionality. You have to be intentional about it. Prayer has to take intentionality about it. Faith, it takes faith. You are basically climbing up and overcoming all the distractions, overcoming all the negative thoughts, overcoming all these things that is in front of you, and basically you're deciding and saying, I'm going to put God first. I'm not going to think about these things, Muna, and I'm going to go put God first. In the morning when I wake up, God, I will climb up the mountain so that when I come down to the daily routines and the daily responsibilities and challenges of this world, I am at peace. I am coming from a position of rest. And I'm not just scrambling and busy and running here and running there and trying to fill all the needs that I have to fill on my own. It's one thing that's very interesting with Jesus when you observe him walking on planet Earth. Never will you find in the scriptures that is written that Jesus ran. He was never in a hurry. He was not busy. We love that word, isn't it? I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. You know what busy means? Burdened under Satan's yoke. Jesus never intended for you to be busy. 
He wants you to be occupied with the kingdom of God, but not busy. Because busy means you're stressed. Now, the reality is there is stress. There is a healthy stress. But never to the point of, you know, doing things and stretching yourself so hard on your own strength. You're never designed for that. You're going to break. You're going to break. God wants you to climb up the mountain, get his peace, get his rest, and then go down and face your day, day battles. Are you with me? You're with me so far. It's a place of peace. It's a place of power. You know, it, it means empowerment. God wants to empower you on the mountains. That's why we always say it, you know, during camps or any, any, any uh, retreats or whatever. It's a mountaintop experience. And lastly, it's a, it's a partnership that God gives you a commission from the mountains. I, I'm going to close with this idea. Um, I want you to capture this. Um, there's, there are two significant mountains in the Bible, and that's in the Old Testament, Mount Sinai, and obviously Mount Zion, but there's also a New Testament version of the Mount Zion, which is a spiritual mountain. I want to read Hebrews chapter 12, beginning from verse 18. And this is a verse that I want you to take in heart. It says here, talking to the believers of the New Testament, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Now, readers of the Hebrews, this is a New Testament letter, understands that this is pertaining to the Old Testament Mount Sinai, which is in Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus chapter 19, God commands Moses to put a perimeter, you know, the police line, like a, you know, if there's a crime scene, the, 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 the yellow tape, you know, do not cross. God commands Moses to put a perimeter around the foot of Mount Sinai and not allow any people or any animal to enter that perimeter because that mountain is holy. It was only Moses who can access that mountain because it was God who was calling Moses up. Now, if you look at this, it says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. If you re recall Exodus chapter 19, whenever God speaks from Mount Sinai, the people are so terrified. There was a thunderous blast from heaven. The cloud smoke filled that mountain. And the people of God, the Israelites, were terrified. In fact, to the point that they asked Moses, you know, do not let us come any nearer to that mountain, right? Because they were so afraid. They were so afraid of God. There is an idea or some sort of practice in our modern-day Christianity that that approach is like, you know, we have to scare people. We have to scare people so that they will obey God. People have to be terrified at God so that they will obey the commandments of God. Now, look at this idea. In Exodus 19, people, the people of Israel, were terrified at God. They were terrified. They were afraid of God. 
And yet, it did not prevent them from committing sin. An unhealthy fear of God will never prevent you from committing sin. In fact, after 40 days, in Exodus 19, after 40 days, they have built the calf, the golden calf. And they were drunk, they were doing immoral things, and they built this golden calf and decided this will be our God. At least this God is more manageable than the God that is on the mountains. An unhealthy fear is not gonna... You, you don't understand what I'm, I'm saying. There is an unhealthy fear of God and there is a healthy fear of God. An unhealthy fear of God is fueled by terror and just you're just scared of God. And the healthy fear of God is fueled by love. For example, parents and children, right? Now, children can be terrified at their parents unhealthy fear, or they can fear their parents, like, I mean, reverence or respect, but fueled with love. No parent would want their children to be too afraid of them, and th therefore the children does not come near them anymore. And that's the picture of Mount Sinai. The people were so terrified at God, they don't want to come near the mountain. Now, continuing with this verse as we close, it says, you know, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. You, because of the salvation that has been offered unto us by Jesus, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church. You know, the church is Mount Zion. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of a bell. You know what? The difference, you know, basically the question, the, the point I'm trying to make here is this. Can you think of, of this question for one moment? How is your relationship with God? How do you feel about God? Do you have a Sinai-like relationship like the people of Israel? You're terrified at God. You're afraid of God. And, but that's, you know, like for, for example, the concept of Jesus coming, you know, second coming of Jesus. Does that concept terrify you? Or does that concept excite you? How is your relationship with God? Because, you know what? The Bible tells us that God wants us to be near, not far away. And yes, we are sinners saved by grace, and we still sin, right? We are sinners saved by grace. But there are two things that can happen whenever you fall into sin or temptation. It's either you go farther and farther away from God because you're terrified of God. Or whenever God reveals to you your brokenness and your failure, the effect of that is you come closer to God because you know you can't help yourself. So what is it? How is your relationship with God? Are you, are you dwelling in the mount? Sinai, or are you living in Mount Zion? The decision is yours. Now, 
look at this. All, all of God, all is one thing. The submission of the will to God is another. You can be awed by God, but to submit yourself to God is another thing. Because the people of Israel in Mount Sinai, they were awed by the power displayed and the glory displayed of God in the mountain. But that didn't make them submit their will to God. You have a choice. You know, um, the difference between Mount Sinai, let me ju just run through this very quickly and it's important. Sinai speaks fear and terror. Zion speaks of love and forgiveness. It's Mount Zion. It's Jesus dying on the cross. A blood that speaks a better word than Abel. You know, because the blood of the animals are not enough, the blood of Jesus has to be the sacrifice that's to be given once and for all. Sinai is found in the dry desert. Zion is the city of the living God. Sinai is earthly. Zion is heavenly. Sinai, only Moses can access God. Mount Zion, because of the blood of Jesus, there is an innumerable assembly of God's people, us included, that can access the presence of God. Would you like to live as one of those people in Mount Sinai, the people of Israel? Or would you like to be a blood-bought, saved by grace, son and daughter of God? You are a son and daughter of God. Sinai represents the old covenant that is ratified by the blood of animals. They have to kill animals year after year after year. Zion has a new covenant ratified by the blood of God's precious son. Sinai is always about barriers and exclusion and legalism, about the law, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Zion is all about invitation. Come up. Come near. It's about grace. That's the application here. Um, application is this. It's simple. You, new covenant believer, children of God, bought by the blood, you should not live, you should not, you should not come to God under the new covenant as if you are coming to God under the old covenant. You should not be like the Israelites in Mount Sinai anymore. That is so terrified that God, they don't want to, they just want to go farther and farther away. You have to understand that the blood of Jesus was given so that we can access His presence. A lot of people, you know, that's the reason why you invite them to church. Hey, come to church. And they would say, I'll think about it, or maybe no. Not because they don't want to come to church, but because they think, I can't come to church. I'm, I'm dirty. I'm unclean. God will not want me there. And it's such a wrong mindset, isn't it? Those who have been saved, us Christians, who acknowledge who experience the saving grace of God knows that there is nothing more wonderful than the idea and the promise of God that even though unclean as we are, because of the blood of Jesus, we have been made clean and we can come and approach God. Amen? So I'll leave you with this in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Again, I, I say it again and again and again, right? In the whole teaching today, Revelations 4.1, God invites John, come up here. I will show you what must take place after this. 
Today, you have come up. You are in a worship service. You have come up. This is the mountain of the Lord. This is Mount Zion. But the real challenge is this. Tomorrow, Monday, when you wake up, will you come up? Will you come to the presence of God? Will you seek God's face? Will you go and find refuge in the presence of the Almighty? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, are you going to come up? Or are you just going to stay down there filled with distractions and noise and all these troubles in this world? God wants you to come up to be at the edge of reality and the heavenly. We're not yet there. We're still here. But we don't have to stay here. We cannot go there yet until God calls us. But God calls us here on the mountain. Not to stay here, but to be on the edge of the heavenly and the earthly. That's prayer right there. That's worship. Every day God calls you to live in there, in that zone where heaven and earth meets. How are you going to do this? Number one, come out, come up to Mount Zion with confidence and boldness. There's no condemnation anymore to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Number two, come up to Mount Zion with humility and submission. Because still, yes, we still have to have the fear of the Lord, a healthy fear of the Lord. He is still it. He is still God. He is still, you know, majestic and glorious in every way. In verse 25 of Hebrews 12, it says, See to it that you do not refuse Him who speaks. If God calls you up, don't refuse Him. There is a nudge. Every day, God nudges you. Knock, come up here. I'm going to say something to you. Don't refuse it. Number three, come up with gratitude and joy. The life of the believer has to be marked by this. It says in Hebrews 12, 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. That, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, the verse that, that goes before this in Hebrews 12 is basically God is shaking everything that can be shaken. And isn't it true? Right now, God is shaking everything that can be shaken. And at the end of times, what will remain is that which, which cannot be shaken. You know what cannot be shaken? Your faith in God. Your relationship. God holding you. If you are found in the Lord, you will not be shaken. If you're on your own, you will be shaken. But if God holds you, what can shake you? If He is the one who's already shaking everything. And last but not the least, come up to Mount Zion. Again, with intentionality and devotion. You have to be intentional to seek God's face. Intentional. If, if you're intentional, it means it's very valuable for you. It is important. It takes priority. If it's not priority, you won't be intentional about it. You'll just give it your spare time. But if it's priority, it's going to be first. God will be first. Intentionality and devotion. Psalm 24 says this, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? 
who may stand in His holy place. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by false God. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you have clean hands and a pure heart? Not on your own good works. No, you don't. But because of the blood of Jesus. So who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who can come to His presence? You. No matter how you feel, no matter how inconsistent you think you are, you are still covered by the blood. You are still covered by the blood. And every day God calls you to His presence, you come. No matter how you feel, no matter how you think, how inconsistent you are, because you're still covered. You're still cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You can still ascend the mountain of the Lord. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. To seek the face of God. Huh? Climb up the mountain. Seek the face of God. Seek the face of God. In these difficult times, in this right, left, front and center, front and back, bad news after bad news, you know what we have to do? Seek the face of God. Seek the face of God. God, I want to see your face. Show me your glory. I want to hear your voice. Shut down all the noise so that I can hear you. I'm coming up the mountain. I'm coming up the mountain. Come on, would you stand up on your feet? We're going to take our communion today. And as we partake of our communion, we declare and we believe that because of the blood of Jesus, because of the blood of Jesus, because of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, we can ascend the mountain of the Lord. He has given us clean hands. He has purified our hearts. Whenever you encounter the holiness and the glory of God, you know what? It's inevitable. Whenever you encounter the purity of God, somehow God reveals to you your impurity. But it's alright. The reason why God points out to your impurity is because He wants to cleanse you. And He wants to reveal your brokenness. It's because He wants to heal you. When I was a kid, for example, when I was a kid, I had an accident, a fall from a bicycle. I had many wounds from my knees and my arms. And I didn't want to show it to my mom. I was afraid she's going to get angry at me. But when she found my wounds, my mom had compassion on me. She was not angry as I thought she would be. But she had compassion because I was bleeding. I had full of wounds everywhere. And my mom took me and he took some medicine and some bimpo wet towel to cleanse it. And you know what the mom, my mom does? She touches it and it hurts. I don't want her to touch it because it hurts. But she has to touch it because he wants to cleanse it so that it will not be infected. You know, when you come face to face to the loving kindness of God and the holiness of God, he sometimes touches that wound. He touches that impurity. He touches that brokenness. And you don't want it because, Lord, it's going to hurt. But God's going to come and say, No, 
If I don't touch it, it's not going to heal. If I don't cleanse it, it's not going to go away. So it's normal. When you climb up the mountain, when you come face to face with God, God sometimes reveals your brokenness, your pain, your impurity, your sin. And it's up to you whether you want to yield to Him or to go away. God invites you to come near. Amen? The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sins. Amen? Father God, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We thank you for today, Lord, the word that you have given us. Lord, enable us. Call us to come up. Come up. Come up. Come up to where you are. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Let's pray for these elements right here as you're holding, even in your home. Can you take the bread? Father, we thank you for the bread that symbolizes your body that was broken and torn on the cross, plugged, beaten. Oh God, so that we can experience wholeness in our lives. Lord, we appropriate, Lord God, this is not just an empty ritual or gesture. Lord, in faith, we declare that even as we partake of this bread, miracles are taking place in Jesus' name. Miracles are taking place even as we partake of this bread, Lord God. Brokenness are being healed. Oh God, hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. The power of the cross over those who put their faith in you. Lord, we come up and we experience you in full because of the beaten body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Let's take the bread together. The juice that symbolizes the blood, Lord. Oh, thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood, the wonder-working power of the blood. The blood that cleanses us from all our sins, the wounds that is in our hearts. Lord God, it's the blood that heals us, cleanses us, purifies us. Oh, Lord God, we speak of the blood. We speak of the blood, Lord Jesus. And we declare and appropriate it over our lives. Your blood speaks a better word. Oh, that the blood of Abel. Abel was a victim, but you were a victor. You died on the cross, not as a victim. Because you died on the cross, you were a victor. You're winning the victory and the salvation of humanity. Oh God, that we can come up and ascend the mountain of the Lord and experience your glory. We thank you for the blood. We are covered by the blood. I declare it over every household, every family members. Father, surround our homes with the blood of Jesus. Oh, surround us with the blood of Jesus. Oh, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. The enemy cannot cross the bloodline. Oh, we are covered by the blood of Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. By your stripes, we are healed. Oh, thank you, Lord. We honor you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Let's drink together. Church, I want you to learn this song. It's quite an old song, but I want to just read the lyrics before we sing it. 
at first times are right there it says I want to go where the rivers cannot overflow me where my feet are on the rock I want to hide where the blazing fire cannot burn me in your presence oh God that's where the mountain is right I want to hide where the flood of evil cannot reach me where I'm covered by the blood I want to be where the schemes of darkness cannot touch me in your presence oh God in your presence that's where I am strong in your presence that's where I belong amen let's sing it together church would you stand up on your feet raise your hands lift your voice sing along with us amen in your presence that's where I am strong in your presence oh Lord my God in your presence that's where I belong seeking your face seeking your face touching your grace your grace in the cleft of the rock amen in your presence so god in your presence that's where i am strong in your I want to hide, amen. I want to hide where the blazing fire cannot burn me in your presence, oh God. Oh, in your presence, that's where I am strong. In your presence, come on, declare it, church. Oh God, we're climbing up. We're ascending the hill of the Lord. Oh, in your presence, amen. Hallelujah. That's where I belong. Seeking your face. Yes, Lord. Touching your grace. In the cleft of the rock. I want to hide where the blood of evil cannot reach me, where I'm covered by the blood. I want to be, amen. I want to be where the schemes of darkness cannot touch me, 
in your presence, O oh God. Come on, lift your voice. In your presence, that's where I am strong. In your presence, O oh Lord my God. In your presence, that's where I belong. Seeking your face, touching your grace, in the cleft of the rock. Oh Jesus, in your presence, oh God. Come on, sing it again. In your presence, in your presence, that's where I am strong. In your presence, oh Lord my God, in your presence, that's where, that's where I, I belong, belong. Jesus. seeking your face, touching your grace, in the cleft of the from your heart in your presence that's where I am strong in your presence oh Lord my God in your presence Lord that's where I belong seeking your face Touching your grace in the cleft of the rock. Hallelujah. In your presence, O oh God, seeking your face. Seeking your face. Touching your grace. In the cleft of the rock, in your presence, O oh God. O oh, Father, make us presence dwellers. O oh, make us mountain hikers. O oh, God, that we will come up, Lord God, fueled by love and faith. Father, let every son and daughter of you not forget, not forget that the safest place on earth is in your presence. It's on the cleft of the rock and the mountain of Zion. Your presence, Lord. Your presence. You don't need to climb up to a physical mountain, but each and every day you're calling us to come up. In the presence of God, Mount Zion, in your presence, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Make this our lifestyle as was Jesus, our Lord, was. Oh, we honor you, God. We thank you. Maybe you're joining us in the service, church, and somehow as you listen, there is a nudge. That's the Holy Spirit, my friend. 
And somehow God wants you to know you don't have to be like the Israelites in Mount Sinai who was so terrified with God, thinking that God would just punish them and beat them and, and reject them because they are sinners. God wants you to know that He's inviting you into Mount Zion where the blood of Jesus was spilled so that we can be invited and welcomed and can draw closer to Him. God wants a relationship with you. No matter how unclean or unworthy you feel, Jesus already paid that price on the cross. By His grace, we have been saved through faith, not by good works, so that no one can boast. So if you're that person and you want your hearts to be opened up, to welcome Jesus and to enter into this covenant relationship with Him, would you pray this prayer with us? Bow down your heads and close your eyes. Come on and say this. Father God, forgive me for I am a sinner. But Lord, today I have learned that your mercy and your grace cost you to send your son to die on the cross to pay for the penalties of my sin. It is because of the blood of Jesus that I can be clean. Today, Lord, I open my heart. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Teach me. Enable me. Empower me by your Spirit to walk each day following you and to climb up my mountain as you have called me to. Thank you, Lord. I am your child. You are my Father. I am not alone. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo. Amen. My friend, if you have prayed that prayer, please don't hesitate to contact us, message us, and we would be very, very glad to join you and to support you and to encourage you along this new way of life. Amen. God bless you. Oh, church, Jerem, Sydney, hey, come on. Let's climb up the mountain. Let's climb up every mountain. Amen. Hallelujah. Woo. Come up, come up, come up. Amen. Would you raise your hands to receive the Father's blessing? Oh, may the Lord, our God, our Heavenly Father, bless you, keep you, and make His face to shine upon you. Even as you ascend, as you come up, and as you seek God's face, His face shining bright as the sun over your life. May He give you peace, shalom, the countenance of the Lord. Every single time you access His presence, peace will be your guard. Hallelujah. Be blessed in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Woo! God bless you, church. Amen.